hello, everyone, and welcome to this Nupi podcast, which we have called Negotiating with uh, Tough Partners. The topic today uh, is what it's like to negotiate with North Korea and with other tough uh, negotiating uh, counterparts. My name is Henrik Heem. I'm a senior researcher uh, at Nupi. And we are delighted to introduce our uh, special guest today, uh, who is someone who has extensive experience in negotiating with tough partners, including the North Koreans, Ambassador uh, Christopher Hill. Uh, Ambassador, welcome. Thank you very much. Ambassador Hill is a former American diplomat, and I think it's safe to say that you have extensive experience uh, from negotiating with with difficult uh, partners, difficult uh, negotiations. Just to give you a flavor, Ambassador Hill was head of the uh, U.S. delegation to the six-party talks on uh, North Korea's nuclear program. You also have extensive negotiating experience from Iraq, where you served as uh, ambassador. And you were part of the team that negotiated the Bosnia peace settlement in the uh, 1990s. Uh, These sounds like tough jobs. Well, yes, and sometimes the partners uh, who are difficult are not necessarily the ones across the table, uh, but your own team can also pose its difficulties because uh, in the U.S. especially, we have a kind of interagency process, so it's not just the State Department you're negotiating on behalf of other agencies. So, yes, it can be very difficult. Negotiating at many levels. Uh, let's start with a topic that's on everyone's uh, minds uh, these days, uh, North Korea. Um, after the Hanoi summit between President Trump and North Korean Chairman uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, the talks seem to have uh, stalled. Um, how do you uh, assess the prospects for these uh, talks getting back on track and eventually for a negotiated settlement uh, with, with North Korea? Well, first of all, I think the overall uh, effort to rid North Korea of its nuclear ambitions is a correct effort. It is well worth making. Uh, I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's difficult. And I think the task for the negotiator is to establish with the North Koreans a proposition that their lives are going to be worse if they keep nuclear weapons than if they give up the nuclear weapons. So I think it's a question of laying out some clear vision for them about what's going to happen if they continue to develop nuclear weapons versus what could happen if they give them up. And you believe a settlement is actually uh, possible? Well, possible means it's greater than 0% chance, and yes, I do. And uh, I think uh, the fact of the matter is that North Korea could have a better future without nuclear weapons. I don't think nuclear weapons can protect it. Uh, And so, frankly, I think the North Koreans need to listen to what our side has to say. Uh, As I mentioned in the introduction, you have uh, extensive negotiating uh, experience with the North Koreans. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more what it's like to negotiate with them? They are known for being tough uh, counterparts. Uh, They are very tough. Uh, They know their subject. Uh, They're well-educated. And they have a lot of. They tend to have a lot of experience. Uh, American negotiators come and go, and usually it's the same North Koreans. Uh, I think a particular challenging effort is uh, you think you've reached an agreement on something, and then they will have a kind of circular approach that a few hours later you find you're in another negotiation on the same subject. So I think you have to uh, be very clear with them that you're not there to waste your time and that you're there as, as long as they're prepared to make progress. And if they're not, you need to be prepared to walk out. 
So uh, working out all the details uh, perfectly uh, also uh, to reach agreement. Yeah, you have to know the details and you have to understand that they will often try to negotiate on a very narrow framework uh, with, the, with the effort to say, well, we didn't agree to that, we only agreed to this, when in fact you thought there was an understanding. And there's no such thing as an understanding with them. There's only a clear statement of what each side is prepared to do. So based on your experiences from negotiating with uh, North Korea, what would be your advice to the current administration? Well, uh, I think the current administration needs to be guided by the uh, experience of the past. Uh, I think to some extent the current administration sort of thinks uh, everything began with it, and I think it needs to do a better job of understanding what happened before. Um, Secondly, I think the current administration needs to kind of expand the scope of um, of the sort of diplomatic architecture. I think there needs to be uh, an understanding that China could have a very positive role uh, by being involved. And by the way, they could have a very negative role by not being involved. So I think there does need to be uh, a broader appreciation for uh, what other countries could offer if you could get them to the table as well. More broadly, if you were to sum up, say, um, the three most important skills uh, and a diplomat involved in, in tough negotiations needs to have, um, what, would they, uh, what would they be? You know, my Chinese counterpart would always say, you Americans, you need more patience. And I would say, you Chinese, you need less patience. And, uh, but I do think patience is a key factor. Uh, I think knowledge, real complete knowledge of the subject and uh, and I think you have to have a sense of what the ultimate goal is, and you have to be willing to travel uh, a road that may not be a straight line toward that ultimate goal, but one that uh, kind of uh, diverts from that straight line, provided you understand what you're aiming for. So I think you have to have a kind of strategic vision of how to get there. To the final, uh, to the final, final objective, yes. Final objective. Uh, and in the North Korean case, that would be eventually uh, denuclearization. Denuclearization. And, and I always find it useful in negotiations to lay out where you're going and then try to find a road to get there. And once you agree on the destination, you can find the road. But I don't think it helps to make little gestures uh, when you don't really know the direction that you're going to be taking. So setting the goal from the setting very the, setting start. Setting the goal the from the beginning, I think, is very important, especially for the North Koreans. And that's why, in fact, in dealing with the six parties, we first came up with a joint statement uh, explaining the goal of denuclearization. You have to put some details in there because you don't want a situation where the North Koreans say, well, we're in favor of denuclearization, but we see that as happening in the next hundred years. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be clear, no, that's going to happen in our lifetime and maybe even less. So you have to kind of lay out where you're going, what the sort of more or less the time frame is, and what you're prepared to do in order to help get there. That seems to be an issue um, currently also with um, North Korea negotiations or North Korea talks uh, that uh, there is no agreement in terms of what denuclearization uh, actually means. You know, I didn't appreciate when I was negotiating getting all this uh, advice from others who didn't really know what was going on in the negotiation. So I'm sure they don't appreciate my comments on, on some of this as well. But uh, I think to some extent uh, uh, this is a difficult process because I think the U.S. side is um, believing that this process can happen in sort of one jump. 
And uh, I know that when you're trying to bridge a chasm, you need to do it in one dr- jump, otherwise you just fall. Uh, but uh, I think there needs to be an understanding that North Korea has never done anything in one jump and that you have to go on a step-by-step basis. Uh, finally, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the state of diplomacy uh, in in the U.S., because there seems to be... Um, you know, uh, potentially uh, an issue of of in, in the State Department, in particular, with a with a lot of people quitting, the low, uh, morale reportedly being being low. Yeah. So, what's your uh, your take on this? Well, I think it's a it's a, a historic problem right now, and it's not just that there are many positions unfilled. Uh, positions are getting filled under Pompeo, if not under Tillerson, but they are getting filled. The problem is, are the are they being filled in a way to make those positions consequential? Uh, does it matter who the assistant secretary is to East Asia, who should be doing the negotiations? Is that being filled by a consequential individual who will be a player? And so I think uh, it's not just a question of the uh, of the vacancies, but rather a question of to what extent uh, the administration will turn to the professional services. So I think there's uh, been a lot of damage. Uh, By the way, it didn't just start with uh, President Trump, but certainly it's accelerated under President Trump. And And I do believe whoever follows President Trump will have a lot of work to do to try to get these uh, uh, departments, especially in the State Department, to, to function properly, and then to uh, empower people to do their jobs. So that's true in any corporation, but it's especially true in the State Department. So have processes been too much sort of top run, run by the... Yeah, I think we have a president who is used to running a family business and is trying to make the U.S. government into a family business, and meaning that he, he'll only deal with people who he can actually see in the room. And in fact, uh, when you have these departments of several thousands of people, you need to trust in the systems that operate. And uh, so I think... Uh, Kind of uh, strangely, there uh, because so many people from this administration have come from business, they don't seem to understand that uh, you need to be able to trust in the institutions and, frankly, give some trust to the so-called wiring diagram of the institutions. And so, uh, we'll have to see how that develops. That seems to have been the case also potentially with uh, with the North Korea uh, talks. Uh, very few people involved, and, and apparently uh, little involvement from sort of experts at the at the lower level. Well, that's true. There were very few people involved, and uh, people who had some experience were not necessarily listened to. But I think there's a more fundamental problem on the North Korea talks, which is that uh, the president seems to want them to happen. You can argue whether he's being naive or what, but the problem is he he has people underneath him who seem to consider the worst uh, the worst thing that could ever happen would be uh, a U.S. agreement with North Korea. Uh, they seem more uh, concerned about uh, to prove the uh, theory of the case that you can never negotiate with a dictator. And so I think those people need to understand that they're working for a president who wants to make this happen, and I hope that he can exert a little discipline around him to get people to be pulling in the same direction he's trying to pull. Are we talking about uh, John Bolton? Uh, We might be talking about John Bolton. I hate to single him out by name, but yes. Uh, Ambassador Hill, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.